welcome you back to Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I'm Rhonda Blevins, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida. And I'm David Brown, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of the Welcome Table in Rock Hill, South Carolina. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, May the 25th, and today we welcome to Pastor Life Podcast our friend and Pinnacle Leadership Associate colleague, uh, Reverend John Darty. Yeah, John has over 45 years of ministry experience. He served on church staffs, uh, providing leadership and spiritual formation. He served in youth and children's ministries. He's been a music minister, associate pastor, and a senior pastor. He has done it all. He's also worked as a social worker and a social work supervisor, and he's been a denominational leader. And recently, he retired as the executive director of Operation Inasmuch, which, if you're not familiar with Operation Inasmuch, it's a great ministry, great program. And so John um, is passionate about equipping and encouraging the church to impact communities through love and service and welcome. Um, He and his family live in Conway, South Carolina. You know, Rhonda, I'm not sure I can believe one thing that you said in that intro, and that's that that John has been doing this kind of thing for 45 years. He must have been one of those with an early call, you know, six, six, seven years old, right? Um, I know he lived in Florida for a while. Maybe he found the fountain of youth. Fountain of youth. Well, uh, (laughs) you know, I've really just uh, appreciated John being a part of our Pinnacle team and getting to know him over the years. Our paths actually crossed a long time ago in the Young Leaders Program through the Center for Congregational Health in North Carolina. And then, you know, we ended up just serving in different places and not really uh, crossing paths all that much until John joined the Pinnacle team. So I'm I'm so excited to reconnect with him. And um, he's really jumped in and and, uh, taken on some good leadership on a number of things at Pinnacle. Yeah, that's right. Well, this season on Pastor Life Podcast, our season, we're calling it Teach Us Something We Don't Know. And a lot of of our colleagues have been on here teaching us some things we don't know. And maybe I would know a little something about what they had to teach us. But this is something I, I don't have any, any idea about. So the topic is church mergers. And John has had experience leading a church through a merger. And so we invited John to come on the pod and teach us about church mergers. So I'm excited to learn a little something I don't know today. How about you, David? Yeah, me too. I don't know anything in terms of firsthand experience with church mergers. I've had a few friends in ministry who have gone through that process with their own congregations, but I uh, I don't have any personal experience, and I, I really don't even know how those conversations begin, what's important about them. So, uh, you know, I, I know 100% with, without a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to learn a few things today. That's right. Me too. So let's welcome to the pod today, Reverend John Darty. Hey, John, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you. As for how early I started, it was 20, not six. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I retired at 65. I I guess depending on how our mathematicians are, they they can, can do that one in their head, right? The, the folks who are listening in. John, is right. there uh, is there anything you would add to our introduction? I think most of that was from the, the Pinnacle Leadership page, but uh, what would you add, if anything? Well, I would, I would add that I am a proud father of two lovely daughters, both social workers, and six grandkids. I'm their papa, and uh, that's a big part of my job right now. Yeah, papa's probably one of your main job titles, right? Yes, it is. 
It's my favorite one, actually. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the pod today to teach us about church mergers. Um, why don't you give us a brief history about your experience with this, and um, and then we'll kind of dive in a little deeper and explore some of the things you learned through that experience. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I, I hope what we have to talk about will be helpful to others. Um, I went to what was then First Baptist Church, Fort Myers, Florida, uh, in the early part of 2008. It was uh, the typical downtown, uh, landlocked, old congregation that had been experiencing pretty significant decline. When we arrived, we were part of the youth group uh, in our late mid-50s. The average age was in the (laughs) mid-70s and uh, had, had had significant ministry in the community for decades, had birthed a lot of churches in, in the surrounding area, and was just, had, uh, as one commentator said in a conversation one time, you may have outlived your great commission days. Hmm. And to some degree, he was correct. But on another hand, they, they still were a people of vision and hope and determined to have a ministry presence on that corner in downtown Fort Myers. They were actually involved in a very creative attempt to do shared ministry with two other downtown First first Churches, First United Methodist and First Presbyterian, in what was then called Trinity Village. It was an attempt to uh, perhaps end up sharing some facilities, building some new facilities, and, and being the faith cornerstone in downtown in all of the renewal efforts that had been going on for a few years. That fell apart in 2009 when one church, one of those three churches, decided not to follow through, and so it led the other church not to follow through. And uh, it was always ironic to me that the Baptist church, which typically are the independent bunch, were the ones who were leading the charge for bringing this partnership together. And so we were sort of shell-shocked after that fell apart. We'd put in that The church had put in some years before I got there working toward that. And, and really, we didn't know what to do next. But by the middle end of the next year, 2010, we were having to borrow money to make payroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was becoming apparent that a large facility was taking its toll on a diminishing population. And so we began, first of all, in, in council setting, we began having conversations about what could possibly be next. What do we do? And then I suggested we need to lead a process of having congregational conversations to get a pulse of what people wanted to do. And so we started setting up and having uh, house meetings. We'd have a host family and about uh, six or eight couples, individuals join. So every house meeting was no more than 12. Uh, A couple of the leaders from the council would join me and, and we would hold a conversation. And in that process, we determined four or five possible options of what to do next. I think the unique thing for this church and maybe for others was in every conversation at some point, I would leave and I would remind them, this is the church's decision. This isn't the pastor's decision. This has got to be where you see your future and what you want to accomplish and how we move there. I will do what you feel led to do. Those five options got pared down pretty quickly to three. 
sell the property and move to something smaller, sell the property and disband, or partnership. Because of their previous experience uh, with the Trinity Village, they were still coming back to the partnership. We just didn't know who the partner would be. And so these conversations kept coming back to, we want to have, number one, we want to have a ministry presence on this corner. We don't want the property torn down and turned into an office complex or an apartment complex. So that was one determination. They felt strongly, the congregation felt strongly that we needed to pursue some kind of partnering relationship. So once those decisions were made uh, from the smaller groups, then we had a large church forum to kind of bring all this together and give more people opportunity to have a say-so. And it, it's really interesting that it continued on the pathway of we want to have a presence here of ministry. So the next step was beginning to pray about and make connections with who that partner might be. Okay. Yeah. That'll be Thank part you for two. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so eventually a partner emerged and how did that shape out? Uh, what were those conversations like? And if you have a sense of it, maybe what made those conversations successful when the previous ones had not? I like to say this is the part where God had a sense of humor. <laughs> we approached the obvious potential partners to see if they might want to branch campus downtown, uh, be a part in that some way. Uh, but it actually was somebody who had been singing in our choir, whose husband was a praise musician and had played keyboards several times at a church that had emerged from a, another church. It wasn't a split. They, the pastor and his wife and some others felt led to start a new presence. Uh, and it was called Elevation Ministries, not related to the Elevation in Charlotte. Her husband had been playing keyboards, and she had gone to, to worship with him some. And he, she stopped me after worship one morning and said, you need to meet the pastor of Elevation. And I said, why do I need to meet the pastor of Elevation? She said, because you all talk a lot alike. Hmm. We both were very kingdom-oriented. We were God putting us in a place on purpose-oriented, you know, claiming our neighborhood, that kind of thing. And where God's sense of humor is, this pastor had a background in Pentecostal. And uh, <laughs> so I think God thought this would be cool. Let's put Pentecostals with a, with a fairly traditional Baptist church and see what the outcome might be. <laughs> so I reached out to Pastor David, and he actually put me off some. He, he wasn't sure what was going on and why I might need to talk to him. But he <laughs> finally uh, agreed to have a conversation. The gist of the conversation was... David, we have space and you have people. There's bound to be a way that we can bless one another. I made it clear to him we were not interested in being landlords only, uh, that we were looking for a partner in ministry who together we could do downtown ministry in Fort Myers. And uh, he was interested after that and went back and he and his elders talked about it. They came at one point, our first thought was they would do worship at the same time we do, but do it in the Family Life Center, which is a nice name for a gym. They came over and did a rehearsal, and after they got through taking five bottles of Tylenol, realized they couldn't do their kind of music in the gym, uh, because if a, an acoustic person was shooting it, it would not be straight lines and angles, it would be a spaghetti chart. <laughs> <laughs> It was not acoustically uh, set up for worship. 
And so I didn't hear from them for a while after that. And I actually got a phone call. They were at a, another church uh, out towards the edge of town and said it, it was a Seventh-day Adventist church. And this was the gist of the conversation. It said, Pastor John, we're at this church. It is absolutely perfect for us. We just had prayer, and we believe God is telling us to be downtown with you in ministry. Hmm. And uh, so he said, is there any way that, that we can figure out how to share the, the sanctuary? And I said, absolutely. And uh, that would be part three. We, our church had to make some pretty hard decisions. Basically, the hardest was to flip-flop Sunday school and worship. Hmm. Hmm. My worship was very structured. Uh, I was going to be done in an hour. Mm -hmm. If you're familiar with uh, Pentecostal-like free worship, they might be through in an hour and a half <laughs> <laughs> or more because uh, they actually have people answer the altar call. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so that was probably the hardest initial change for uh, First Baptist. But let me, let me backtrack. The first thing that we started sharing was Wednesday night services. They did not have anywhere to do Bible study and youth ministry and that sort of thing. And the very first Wednesday, uh, Pastor David, his elders, and a number of their younger men uh, greeted every one of our older folks in the parking lot and escorted them in. They did everything right to establish relationships. Oh, yeah. And so once we decided to start sharing worship, we also planned that every fifth Sunday would be a joint worship service. Hmm. We created in the atrium part of the activity center a crossover place for between our worship and their worship. We were very purposeful in finding ways to interact and meet and join. And so for the first couple of years, it was two churches partnered together sharing a facility and involving each church in, in fellowship as well as ministry. We each had our own leadership, our own budgets. Their contribution was generous to the operation of the facility and did a significant amount of updating and upgrading at their expense early on. But uh, we were very purposeful in building relationships. It sounds like to me that you didn't go in like guns a-blazing, you know, merger or nothing. Um, it was step-by-step. Step. It was sounds very intentional that we'll partner in, in some smaller ways that we can. There's a church here in my town that contacted my church about some sort of partnership, and they were just ready to, to go with something instead of having a process. And so they actually ceded their church's identity to a larger sort of mega church in our area. And that, that seems kind of sad to me that they would just kind of give their building and their identity completely over to become a satellite campus. So what was this process like then for your people? I mean, were they, were they anxious along the way? Were they terrified? Were they just um, godly and open-minded? Or how did that play out? Well, again, as I said, the leadership of Elevation as they came in did an excellent job of building relationships. We attended each other's worship times for a portion of it. As I said, we built in times of fellowship, and, and uh, we had a, wouldn't call it a council, but we had a team represented from both congregations uh, to handle the business stuff, to think through these kinds of processes. Uh, so that part was relatively seamless. Once we made the decision, 
and we never mentioned merger. That was not in either one of the leadership's minds as we started this. That wasn't the plan. After two years of really successfully living together and ministry together and fellowship together, we also built in fellowship times. We had Mm -hmm. a couple of meals a year and this sort of thing. It started bubbling up from both congregations. How do we make this permanent? And so 2013 was a year of set aside a year for trying to figure out what permanent looked like. Again, that team from both congregations uh, were meeting. We were starting conversations again, congregational conversations, and uh, merger kept bubbling to the top. It's the only one that made sense. One staff, one budget, one identity uh, with a heritage and honoring that heritage of both honoring the heritage that had laid the foundation for First Baptist Fort Myers Incorporated and honoring the the tradition of the new start of elevation and non-denominational approach and uh, pastor elder led. And uh, so the next big conversation was, okay, how do we do governance? We have two very different forms of government. Both understood we're going to have to give a little on each side. They became more congregational, and we became council-led. If you know anything about Baptist tradition, the hardest thing for a few of my hardheads was, you mean we won't vote on the budget? (laughs) No, you're going to elect your representatives, and they're going to pass a budget. You don't like the budget, get new representatives. (laughs) (laughs) And we assured them, you'll always have a copy of the budget. That's not it. Nobody's hiding anything, but no, you won't vote on that. And we centered in on the things you'd vote for. You'd vote for senior pastoral leadership. Uh, You would vote for buying or selling property and those sorts of things. In that same conversation was, what will the entity become? Because of the history of the incorporation of First Baptist Church Fort Myers, it was determined to maintain that as the corporate identity. And we chose to register a DBA, doing business as with an identity that captured both of these coming together to form one entity. And that was an interesting process. What do we call ourselves? Let me tell you the interesting thing for me in this process for the Baptist background. To merge was a unanimous decision. Wow. To partner was a 98%. Then the merger was 100%. The name was 97%. We had a number of names came, come in. We, we chose not to name it by location in case we ever did need to move. Or if we added a satellite, we didn't want to be identified by location. We didn't want denominational monikers. And so while we maintained a relationship with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Florida, uh, we did not identify ourselves as Baptist. What rose to the, to the top of the heap was how we told the story, how Pastor David and I would tell the story of our coming together. And David always gravitated to the story of Ruth. And he would tell you right now, he wanted to be Boaz. And the kinsman God said, redeemer. God said, I'm Boaz, you're Ruth, and they're Naomi. Hmm. And so uh, Ruth came to serve and love Naomi. And God brought this about at the city gate. Being a downtown 
county seat church. We are two blocks from the county headquarters. We are we're surrounded by attorneys and different offices that support the county. We truly were at the city gate. And that's what became the name of the church, City hmm. Gate Ministries of Southwest Florida. Wow. And that's a registered DBA. The incorporation is still First Baptist Church, Fort Myers. Uh, we had the history on that. So let me tell you, let me do the bragging part. We were averaging probably 150 out of season, and Rhonda understands this mm-hmm. in Florida that's right. speak, and about 225 in season before we started sharing the campus. The first Sunday that Elevation joined us, we had 550 on campus that day. After the first year, we were running about 800 on a Sunday. Uh, Today, they're running two services and one on Saturday night and probably 12 to 1,500 on campus on the weekends. But what I am the proudest of is this church became a a seven-day-a-week ministry in the community church. That was the goal of our congregation. That was the goal of Elevation. They felt led to minister in downtown Fort Myers. So there is something happening somewhere in the community every day out of that church and in that church. There are four or five organizations that are permanently located on the facilities now. They don't charge rent for those. Hmm. That's what makes it different. These are shared ministries. Once they come on campus, they're partners. Uh, so the camp that the church literally grew up with a partnership mentality, and uh, it's continuing to live on. Now, positive and negatives. The negative for First Baptist, this was going to happen no matter what, is there's practically very little of that remnant left. They were aging out and dying and moving to be closer to family, and there's a very small contingent of that group that are still involved there. Uh, We were down there a few weeks ago. I didn't recognize two-thirds of the people in the building. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) It's an amazing story, John. I appreciate you just taking the time to kind of walk us through the story because there are miraculous parts of it, right? Uh, And and clear ways that, that you sensed in the moment. And I think looking back, God's fingerprints all over it. I wonder, it, it seems almost like a singular scenario. And so I wonder, what are the the larger ideas that you would draw from that experience? If there are churches who are struggling with a building that they really are no longer filling or a budget that is not sustainable, and the conversation is really about partnerships, merger, or or maybe dying, closing closing shop. What are sort of the lessons that you think translate really well from a really successful story, but one that you just don't hear out there very often? There's several. It's hard to say what the number one is, but close to the top is, is you have to change to a kingdom of God mindset and not just the kingdom of us mindset. What we are about is bigger than just what we are here. We are an outpost of that kingdom. Another really important thing to do is change the mindset. This does not belong to us. These are tools that God has allowed us to have to build the kingdom of God. And so you have to get past the ownership part of it. One of the most significant council meetings we had where the question was, so we're just going to give it away. And one of my gifted, very spiritual leaders 
opened his mouth and he said, it's not ours to give away. Yes, it is whatever God needs to make this happen. That was in the conversation. Another really important thing is you have to have pastoral leadership that takes puts their egos out by this doorstep. Hmm. This can't be about my kingdom, his kingdom, can't be who's in charge. We co-pastored very well for over two years before uh, I moved on to Operation In As Much. Co-pastoring requires setting aside that ego. Co-pastoring requires a self-knowledge of your giftedness and allowing David's visionary communication skills and challenging gifts and my orderly, neat, put it in, make it work, the nuts and bolts the process. My gift for process is what brought that about. I don't say that in a bragging way. God used my gifts in that way to bring it about. He used David's visionary gifts and communication skills. Together, uh, we meshed in a way that made this happen. So it doesn't mean that you have to go find somebody with those exact skill sets or gifts, but you've got to know yourself well enough. How do we mesh this together with what we're both strongest in? So when it came to process and nuts and bolts and organizational things, David would cede to me. When it came to the visionary and what it might look like and this sort of thing, I stepped back and let David see that and do that. Uh, That captured both of those. And you've got to have people who recognize that this is bigger than us. I've already talked about that, but are generous enough to say, we believe in God's kingdom and we want to have a part of it. So literally what we presented was the gift of facilities and location. And what they brought, the minute they came on campus, our average age dropped to below 50. (laughs) The first day. Uh, and so I would say their average age now is probably about uh, 42 uh, on that campus. Hmm. And so there's still some older and wiser sage people. And there's a lot of young, enthusiastic people. And uh, there's new Christians and just converted folks and people getting off the street and wanting their lives to get in order. It's truly an amazing group of people. Were there resources that helped you navigate that whole thing or books or, or trainings or anything or any that you discovered since then? <laughs> Not that I was aware of. <laughs> um, no, this was a pretty organic process. As I, as I said, part of my giftedness is process. And being uh, affected by our whole Anabaptist background, I chose a, a pretty... Uh, I don't know which group to say, but the discernment process of having conversations uh, and trusting the people to be as smart or smarter than me. In every one of those house meetings, as I said, it shocked them when I left. They'd never had a <laughs> pastor that, that left those kinds of significant conversations. At the end of every one of the, the town hall meetings, I left. I had a designated couple people to serve as leaders of the conversation at that point, but they needed to have conversations that didn't involve me. I didn't want them to hurt my feelings. I didn't think they would, (laughs) but I didn't want them to think they might hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. This was serious stuff. This needed to be their decision. So 
part of what I'd done for two or three years before that was build trust. Yeah. Uh, they trusted me, but they actually called me with a purpose of expanding their ministry into the community. Mm-hmm. In the time since then, and I know you've done some, some denominational work with Cooperative Baptist before then, but you've also interacted with lots of churches through, um, through Operation Inasmuch, and you've got a wide network. Do you know of other similar scenarios? Have you gotten into conversations with other pastors who have, have had something like this happen? Uh, and, and, it, and if you have, did the process they found their way into look similar to yours or, or very different? And, ha- and do you know of any results? Well, sadly, I've had too few. I think with the pandemic, it has exacerbated, in trying to come out of that, has exacerbated situations for churches that they're being forced to figure out more creative ways to move ahead. We are anecdotally occasionally hearing of churches that are finding creative ways to use their facilities, uh, providing much lower rent for nonprofits in their community. Uh, sharing worship facilities has been fairly common but it's been more of a the landlord type approach that I've talked about that we did not want to do, uh, where they rarely cross paths. They just are renting space, and it's a good thing. It gives churches that don't have facilities ways to do that, and it brings in income for the host church. But what disappoints me is there are not enough churches who are willing to get outside themselves and share what they have and quit thinking it's theirs. It's not ours to protect. It's ours to use and invest. And every opportunity I get to preach that, I do. (laughs) Uh, And in Operation Inasmuch, we talked about the same thing. You're doing wonderful things in the community today. What are you going to do tomorrow that involves everything you have to give to the community? Churches are real comfortable going out and away and doing things, but they really don't want many of those folks showing off on Sunday if they're just real honest about it. And so you've got to be prepared. If we're going to reach the lost, you have to understand the lost are messy. (laughs) They don't know our secret handshakes. You know, they don't know what our expectations are. And and the Christians are messy, too, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, aren't we? Christians are very messy, but we think we're not. Right. We have our own preferences. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, John, what word of wisdom or encouragement or advice might you offer to, if there's a pastor out there uh, wondering if he or she might kind of begin to have a conversation with lay people at the church, what, what words of wisdom would you share with our listeners today? Well, you have to lay the groundwork. Um, Again, if you recall, I just said I I was called with the purpose of moving us beyond and into our community and beyond just inside the church doors. But I also did a sermon of series that I called What If? And we started imagining how our facilities could be used for more than just traditional Sunday school and worship and an occasional activity in the activity center. And just got real creative with the what ifs. The first ministry that we started on our own before Elevation came on was a a ministry to the homeless. There's a large population of homeless people in Southwest Florida. And so that came out of that uh, preaching series because we had gymnasium, we had uh, shower facilities for male and female with three showers in each. We had laundry 
scattered about here and there, uh, one there in the activity center, another in the, in the kitchen. And so I don't know how this got, how the word got out to the homeless coalition, but, uh, the head of the coalition came to us and said, is there any way that we can provide showers for homeless people? I said, well, I bet we can figure it out. And so two of our members got really excited about it. We went out to First Baptist Church of Fort Myers Beach, uh, which, by the way, Fort Myers Beach is 25 miles from Fort Myers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so we went out and saw their ministry. They were doing something very similar, provided a meal, uh, did uh, the showers and some other services, came back and replicated a certain amount of that. We added doing laundry. Uh, and shortly thereafter, we had a, a bathroom that wasn't being used. We put a wash and dryer unit in that bathroom. We would have 100 to 120 homeless folks every Tuesday. We'd do a load of laundry. they get showers. they get a meal. And we would connect them with other services in the community. We explored some other things. Out of that came a relationship with a bicycle ministry that is now housed on the campus, rehabbing bicycles, helping people who are homeless have transportation so they might could get a work, get jobs. And so you lay the groundwork for thinking beyond where you have been. Hmm. Uh, you start the conversation by getting people accustomed to realizing we are part of building God's kingdom on earth as it in heaven. We are not just building our own little kingdom. That's a big step. And it takes some preaching and teaching time to do that. So start the conversations. If you're having a difficult time financially, if you've got excess facilities, have the conversations, get creative, bring in other people from the community, connect with the nonprofit services that are available and how can we help you do what you do better? I think that's just great, John. And I think the interesting thing to me is through the course of this conversation, we started with a really particular situation and a conversation about church mergers. And I think that maybe what I've learned is uh, something about just how we develop a mindset for being a missional presence, being a kingdom of God kind of church. And I think that's something that every single pastor, every single church leader can take away from this conversation. So so thank you so much, John, for sharing your wisdom and experience and helping us to, to think about uh, something that we, neither of us, I don't think, and probably many of our leaders had done much intentional thinking about. Thanks, John. It's been my pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. You can find contact information for David, for me, as well as for John, um, and the session notes for this episode at pinlead.com. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com. Well, Rhonda, I think we just need to bottle up this conversation and John's perspective and energy for all of this and ship it out to anybody we can think of to ship it to. What do you think? Oh, I think so, too. As well as the, I'm, I'm impressed by the humility Uh, by which he approached this merger and and that he carried himself through that. Um, Yeah, I think think that would go a long way for a lot of people, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. This was great. See you next week on Pastor Life Podcast. Mm -hmm.